Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. In this episode, uh, Antoinette, you're going to explain why young people are spending big on luxury brands despite the tough economic times. So yeah, Tom, when you think of luxury goods, you probably don't think it's a booming industry given we're on the cusp of a recession. And you also probably don't imagine people in their 20s that are spending big, but a third of luxury goods are now actually purchased by Aussies under the age of 30. And that's a pretty big shift because for a long time, it was like well-off middle-aged people spending big. And these luxury goods like fashion, handbags, jewellery, it's a really growing industry and it's currently valued at $5.3 billion a year in Australia. And there's another trend. It's been dubbed quiet luxury and it's far less about big logos and visible brands and more about understated items. So you won't see flashy, bejeweled, embellished opulent looking clothing from the outside, but they will be very expensive, like $20,000 for a jumper type expensive. The idea of this has kind of come from a whole range of reasons, I think, and it's succession. It's also, we can thank Gwyneth Paltrow, I think. (laughs) Thank you, Gwyneth. Normcore, luxury core, is there a label for this kind of fashion where it's really expensive, but it's kind of understated? Quiet luxury. Quiet luxury. All right, I'm heading out to the shops. Um, That's our briefing in a moment. First, here are the big headlines of the day. It's Wednesday, the 26th of April. It's official. Joe Biden has announced his bid for re-election in 2024. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. That's why I'm running for re-election. The US president releasing his election video overnight. Mm, dramatic. Um, I almost thought that he'd lost his train of thought with that that last line. Um, but in it, the 80-year-old says he wants to continue his battle for the soul of America. Yeah, it's amazing he's running for president at this age. So he'll be 81 at next year's election. He'll mm. turn 82 a few weeks afterwards. So four years after that, if he's the president for that second term, he'll be 86. Look, and there are some people in their 80s who are fit and able to hold high-pressure jobs. I'm just not convinced that Joe Biden is one of them. Like, he routinely can't finish a sentence or his chain of thought. There is so many videos of him falling up the stairs of Air Force One. Surely in a country of 331 million, there can be another viable leader for the Democrats. Look, he might have trouble walking and talking, but (laughs) he seems to have a pretty good track record. Like, America feels like it's in a better place than it was a few years ago. What the Democrats have done are put a warm blanket and calmed everything down. But still, I mean, you started your sentence saying, yes, he may have trouble talking and walking. And Mm. I I reckon they're pretty basic things. As long as you can govern, okay, (laughs) that's what I'm there for. Um, There's interesting news around Donald Trump as well. There's a civil rape claim against him and that trial has begun it's an accusation from 30 years ago. It's being brought by advice columnist E. Jean Carroll. So it'll be really interesting to see how this one plays out. Um, there's been many allegations made about Trump, but this is the first one to get this far. And Tucker Carlson, the famous right-wing TV host, probably the most famous in the world, you know his face, he's been fired by Rupert Murdoch's Fox News. This comes very soon after the Murdoch settled the defamation case for spreading lies in the so-called 2020 stolen election. Carlson was seen as a big part of that problem, knowingly spreading those lies. But given his popularity 
and his ability to ride out other controversies, um, this news has surprised a lot of people. Yeah, and I didn't think I would ever start a sentence like this, like, in defence of Tucker Carlson. Are you really going to defend him? I'm not. Well, I'm going to put it in context that he wasn't the only one who was from Fox News peddling lies and playing footsies with conspiracy theorists, yet he's the only one to get the chop, which I think is interesting. And I wonder if others will follow suit or if they just needed a fall guy because of that that huge payout. I guess what was also damning was the leaked text messages, which showed that he didn't like Trump, uh, that he knew that they were, they were lies about the election being stolen and still peddled them, and that, you know, he wasn't particularly, didn't say particularly favourable things about management. But a guy like this, as you say, he has fallen before. Guys like him usually fall up. I think it's interesting and I think he's not the only one who did this. So I'm interested to see what happens given that he was the only one that got the chop. I'm not sure if he can fall up from here though. He's already been, you know, let go by two other big networks. Where else do you go from here to make big money unless he can build his own direct-to-consumer online sort of channel? I think it's possible that they'd re- they'll potentially rehire him. Important medicine will be cheaper for 6 million Australians who'll be able to buy twice as many medicines for the cost of one script under a major pharmacy reform to be unveiled today. So if approved, it'll be part of the upcoming federal budget, patients would have access to 60 days worth of medicine for each script from July 1. And the proposal would halve the current fees paid by the government each time a pharmacist dispenses subsidised medicines. Um, And Tom, it's said that this move will save Aussies up to $180 a year. And Victoria is raising the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 12 Um, The Daniel Andrews Cabinet signed off on this last night, raising the minimum age a child can be arrested, charged or sent to jail. It's part of a staggered approach where eventually they'll get that age of criminal responsibility up to 14 by 2027. Um, The age of criminal responsibility remains at 10 in New South Wales, Queensland and Western Australia. And this big move in Victoria comes ahead of a national meeting with Attorneys General on Friday. Medical and legal experts, they're all in fierce agreement that children are developmentally incapable of criminal responsibility at the age of 10, like that primary school aged kids shouldn't be Mm. in prison. Uh, The Northern Territory and ACT are both bringing it up to 12 this year, but also planning to get it eventually to 14. There's obviously pressure for New South Wales to follow suit because we um, are spending big keeping these poor children behind bars. And as with adult jails, unfortunately, it's Indigenous children who are overrepresented in these jails. And it's been revealed Prince William got a secret payout, um, a very big one, in 2020 from Rupert Murdoch's UK newspaper arm over phone hacking. The Murdochs are getting a bit of a run today. So this is according to court documents from Prince Harry's lawsuit. He's suing news group newspapers for unlawful acts allegedly committed from the mid-90s until 2016. And in Harry's witness statement, he says the deal with William was struck to avoid the situation where a member of the royal family would have to sit in the witness box and recount the specific details of private and highly sensitive voicemails that had been intercepted. Yeah, I'm going to play the world's smallest violin um, because the Murdochs are, going, uh, are finally having to pay up for just a, a couple of their of their sins. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he, I hope he gets a big payout, interesting to see what he does with the money. Yeah, well, he might need some more money. Not sure what they're going to do next after the Netflix series and the book. I hope they invested that money well. Thanks, Tom. Next up, young people spending big on luxury.
heard the expression, money talks, wealth whispers? Well, I hadn't either until I came across it recently on TikTok. And the person was referring to Gwyneth Paltrow's recent courtroom wardrobe and how it was all like super luxurious, but there were no brands or logos in sight. And luxury retail is growing here in Australia. It's worth more than $5 billion. And what's interesting is that spending big on understated luxury items is no longer just for celebs or older rich people. New research shows young Aussies are also lapping it up. Kayla Wheeler is a senior analyst at market research company Ibis World, and she's also the co-author of a recent report into luxury retail. Kayla, thanks so much for joining us. The luxury end of retail is growing. First of all, tell us about this growth. So the luxury retail industry has been growing. Ibis World projects that it'll grow by just over 5% over the past five years to reach $5.3 billion. Um, this includes a 12% growth in the current year. This is obviously inflated a little bit from inflationary pressures and revenge spending with the borders reopening and restrictions easing across Australia. And I have heard that term revenge spending a little bit. What does that mean? So obviously, people were cooped up in their homes during the pandemic. Now that stores have reopened, they're searching for that experience in store once again. And they have a lot of household savings that they built up over their time indoors. So now they're going back to stores and spending up a little bit of a storm. So $5 billion as the projection, that's a lot of handbags, jewellery and clothes. Do you guys have a breakdown of exactly what items are attracting sort of the most spending? So the product segment that has received the most growth at the moment has been your luxury jewellery and watches. Um, this is because that these are quite timeless pieces. They've been safe commodities during the pandemic. So people have been investing in them because they can even appreciate and value over the period. I want to talk about the target market for luxury goods because it seems to have changed. It's no longer the cliche of the affluent Aussies who are found on golf courses or pearl-clad sipping martinis at 11am on a Tuesday. What do we know about this change? No, it's not anymore. It's definitely hitting into the younger consumer market. The 15 to 34-year age group now accounts for about one-third of spending in the luxury retailing sector. Uh, Polarisation trends are definitely prevailing through the younger market. They have high savings ratios throughout the pandemic, many of which still live at home. They're going into the workforce. They're leaving uni. They're needing new styles. They're also very active on social media, Mm. which is where they're seeing celebrities. They're seeing fashion prevail overseas in the States. And they want to be amongst the styles and the trends. A lot of luxury brands are now creating new categories that are of more affordable ranges that they can be a bit more creative and target these younger consumers. They're collaborating with streetwear brands. Louis Vuitton collaborated with Supreme Label to create a more affordable range. What about cost of living pressures, which is just getting worse? Is that going to change things for young people or is there always a portion um, who continue to spend big or perhaps have the ability to? With the luxury retailing sector, their major target market is high-income earners. These consumers are less affected by financial stresses and that come with rising interest rates and the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the younger demographic, which are now becoming increasingly lucrative. Also with luxury retailers, they target international travellers, such as the affluent tourist from China. Mm. With borders reopening, 
these international arrivals to Australia are expected to reach pre-pandemic levels about 2025 to 26. Mm -hmm. This will bring back much of their old target market that they were seeing prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So what are you seeing among your friends when it comes to luxury goods? Well, I'm in my 20s. We're all quite active on social media. We're seeing a lot of influencers out there wearing these pieces that are very timeless, sophisticated and understated. At the moment, quite luxury is definitely on brand. Fashion is very fickle. So styles are constantly changing. They're ever changing. And at the moment, quite luxury is definitely what's on trend. That was Kayla Wheeler from Ibis World. And now to unpack or peel off quiet luxury a little more, fashion lecturer and freelance writer Alison Izzo joins me. Thanks for your time, Alison. So here's the thing. Most people I know who own luxury goods are really ostentatious about it. Like they'd have a Louis Vuitton tattoo put on their head if someone yep. would agree to do it. But that's no longer trendy. So no. what's, what's changed? There's this this movement towards really expensive, really high status luxury items, which you can't tell by looking at it necessarily unless you're in the know. So mm. this this kind of trend has come to the fore thanks to, I mean, succession, I think is the, is the main driving force at the moment. And that's definitely brought it into the mainstream. I feel like everyone's obsessed with that show. And it's a look inside the world of the super, super rich. Mm. And they don't wear logos. They don't need to. They're so rich that I think that it's a, a movement against that kind of ostentatious show of wealth. Mm-hmm. And so you won't see flashy, bejeweled, embellished, opulent looking clothing from the outside, but they will be very expensive, like $20,000 for a jumper type expensive. The idea of this has kind of come from a whole range of reasons, I think, and it's succession. It's also, we can thank Gwyneth Paltrow, I think, in a small way. And her her courtroom wardrobe. And her courtroom wardrobe, the Utah Ski Resort trial, took over the internet for about a week or so there because people were so obsessed with this quiet luxury, this way of dressing Mm. where she was incredibly understated, but you could tell it was just expensive. I think it's important to know that younger people, those aged under 30, who are into luxury goods are also consuming fast fashion, Mm. although there is a bit of a push against fast fashion because we know just how bad it is for the environment. What have you seen there? There's a two-speed thing. I think if you look at Gen Z, they know that fast fashion is terrible and you look at labels like Sheen where it's incredibly cheap. The products to buy, you know, cost $5. It's terrible for landfill. It's terrible for the environment. But those brands are incredibly popular. But at Mm. the same time, studies have shown that that same generation are also really aware of the environmental impacts and sustainability and the ethics of of brands and designers are more important to that generation than any other. So I think we've got a two-speed thing going on where people buy fast fashion, but they also know that it's not great. And I think it's sort of a guilty pleasure of shopping at the moment. Gen Z and Gen Y are an interesting bunch, particularly Gen Z, sometimes, you know, oxymoronic in their approaches because they do want luxury goods, although they are consuming fast fashion. They do care about climate change. They're probably Mm. concerned about the war in Ukraine. Mm. How does that play out in fashion choices and how do you think that's going to affect luxury good purchases? Look, I think it's really interesting. I think what we're seeing is a rise of brands who are putting their sustainability concerns more to the fore and it's more in their communications, it's in their branding, it's all on their website and I think they're communicating that better Mm. if they're doing it. We were seeing more B Corp certified brands and I think that's coming from a real place of genuinely trying to change and younger consumers do definitely consider that and they do value it highly. I think the way that most people shop 
is high and low. I think that, you know, unless you're of the royal family on succession, unless you're Gwyneth Paltrow, you're not going to dress head to toe in Kate or in Totem or in The Row or in Celine or in these kind of hard to get Laura Piana brands, which are very understated. Right. And you can perhaps feel that you're more empathetic to people who are living below the poverty line (laughs) while you're still wearing, you know, $30,000 blazer. A hundred percent. And the people who, it's a a silent signal to the other people who know that $30,000 blazer. So it's still a status symbol, Mm. but it's just a little bit more refined and a little bit more of an in-joke, I guess. It's not as crass. It's kind of like a more a quieter way of showing your your knowledge of fashion, but also your status, your social status and your ability to buy those items. And what does it do with guilt? Because when you know things are super, super tough yeah. for the rest of the country, do you think quiet luxury helps you manage internal guilt? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. I think that depends on the individual. Like yeah. I think a lot of these people who are super rich don't genuinely care about it because they're living their best life in a $30,000 coat. Yeah. They may not want to look like they don't care, but ultimately, yeah. you know, if they really cared, they'd probably be buying from H&M and donating the, yeah, that's <laughs> the, right. the rest of the money to charity. So as with a lot of things in fashion, it is very much about the appearance um, of mm. things. And I think that this speaks to sort of the PC nature of fashion. You know, you have to look to be in step with the culture and um, aware of your surroundings, your cultural mm. context. Do you think when it comes to quiet luxury, it is uh, old money versus new money? And I hate to simplify it to Mm. that kind of dichotomy, but a lot of people that I know who are new money, very new money, they can't wait to show it. They will have (laughs) like labels head to toe, Mm -hmm. more than you can even count in one outfit so that everybody knows that they've spent tens of thousand dollars to look that way. I think that's a part of it. I think that it's a classic thing of the trend cycle in fashion and whatever you have not had before you want more of. Mm. So I think in terms of old money versus new money, it may not be like a generational thing, but if you have grown up, you know, with access to every label and designer thing, that's not exciting to you. That's just a regular Saturday shopping at David Jones or whatever else. But if, as you say, if, you, if you're new to money and you're suddenly like, I can afford these things, I can, mm. I can buy the, the big fancy handbag or the, you know, whatever it is, then yes. So I think it's a classic case of fashion goes in cycles and it's always a turn against what you've known before, you know, throughout history. That, that's always the way that trends kind of work. And I think if you look at the people who are into quite luxury they're kind of bored with the ostentatious logo mania that we've saw in the 90s. I think that Mm. um, it was a broader trend, but I think also if you're exposed to that amount of money, you're just probably not impressed by that. Fashion lecturer and freelance writer Alison Izzo. Well, let's see how the luxury retail market plays out, given that economic conditions, you know, by all forecasts, are expected to worsen. And how fascinating is it that, yes, we know fashion comes in cycles and trends. We've always known that but that it can also mirror massive historic milestones like the French Revolution, where rich folk just kept spending big, but in a way that was a little secret they shared just with people of their class. Listener.